influence on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 35th premium chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Jake Origin Story episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakitansky, Julian Field, and Travis View. Jake Rakitansky is one of the co-hosts on this show, um, so you might know him from there. He is a good man, and I love him like a brother. He wrote this for me, but Jake wasn't always as moderately blue-pilled as he is today. This week's episode, in collaboration with NPR, <laughs> fuck, can we claim that? <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, okay, say 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 uh, in collaboration with no, M- it's with, too late with MPR. MPR? Yeah. What would that even stand for? Muggle Public Radio. God damn. Brings you the origin story of Jake Raw Katansky, presented by allegedly Ira Glass. <clears throat> the origin story of Jake Rakatansky with Ira Glass. I <laughs> can't believe you wrote this joke. I can't fucking believe you open with this. <laughs> this is this is a wordsmith that you know, if you're going to see the, the the words degrade over time, this is where we start. This is where we start. <clears throat> The following presentation of This American Trash is brought to you by (laughs) Smucker's Uncrustables, a delicious peanut butter and jelly sandwich you can warm under your thighs uh, like a sugary egg or eat it (laughs) completely frozen. Uh, The choice is yours with Smucker's Uncrustables. So, like, are are they birds? Are they penguins, the listeners? They should know what it's like to have an egg beneath them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they just sponsor the show, man. I don't know. So you're uh, Jake's brother, Zach. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, what did you observe in the months leading up to the 2016 election? Um, like, I know that Jake was a staunch Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, he'd been fairly big on him in, in the run-up to the primary. And once the rapper Killer Mike supported Bernie Sanders and a bird had flown down from the rafters <laughs> and landed on the Vermont senator's podium, that really put him over the edge. <laughs> Yes, I think um, a lot of people took that as a sign from the universe that, you know, uh, this was the guy who was destined to be the 45th president. I I guess. Jake Rakitansky was born in 1984 in a suburb near the city of Chicago. His mother was an English teacher at the local high school, and his father worked for the local broadcast station. Uh, By all accounts, he had a happy childhood and lived in a very loving and progressive home. His first taste of politics was seeing his parents become devastated by Michael Dukakis' 1988 loss to George H.W. Bush. Uh, There was no way Jake could grasp the specifics of the election or what politics even was, but he did know that Dukakis was a funny name, and he and his younger brother would dance around in their underwear, uh, making up songs about the governor. I I would say Jake was like a fairly decent older brother. We're only like a couple years apart, so we've been pretty much best friends from the get-go. Sometimes we would roughhouse a little too hard and he'd get this crazed look in his eyes and really try to wallop me, but I guess other than that, things were pretty chill. In high school, Jake found himself in the theater crowd. It was shortly after he had tried out for the baseball team and got cut from the first round. (laughs) And in the middle of his tryout uh, from the fencing team, uh, that's right, the fencing team. I'll let Jake explain. Oh man, so the fencing the fencing tryouts were like this last ditch effort for me in my quest to secure some sort of standing on the um in the high school hierarchy. Uh my school was very sports centric and I sucked at just about every sport. 
so fencing seemed cool. I mean, you know, sword fighting is cool. I, I kind of imagine myself in a situation in like the locker banks where some hot freshman co-ed was getting attacked by some asshole jock dude. And I would like appear with a sword sort of like, um, um, like uh, Jim Caviezel in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. But actually, the tryouts were really tough. Uh, we had to do these things uh, that were called at the time Indian runs, uh, where you would run in a line around a track, and the last person would sort of have to sprint to the front of the line. And uh, I was kind of chubby at the time, and so running was also my least favorite thing in the world. Uh, I probably did like an 11-minute mile in those days. Uh, so halfway through the exercise, I just kind of snuck out of the line and walked away. I think that was when I decided maybe I should just, you know, try out for a school play. It was in university that Jake's radicalization began. <laughs> he was woken up one morning to one of his dorm mates screaming that uh, terrorists were bombing New York. He hustled himself out of bed and huddled with a handful of students in front of a small TV and watched as the second plane struck the Twin Towers. Uh, Jake cites this moment as the beginning of his obsession with terrorism and uh, launched him on a quest to discover the truth about 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 really fucked me up. Um, I, there was a girl that I had been dating at the time who actually had a friend on one of the planes and we both decided that, uh, you know, trying to cultivate a relationship during such a deep period of grieving probably wasn't the healthiest thing in the world. Um, also, in the midst of all this, I had a computer that had nothing on it except a pirated version of Counter-Strike and a, a steady connection to the World Wide Web. I became obsessed with watching videos of terrorist beheadings, even though every time I watched one, I, I could feel a tiny piece of myself die. Oh my God! I was blown away that this kind of savage violence existed outside of movies and television. Um, and so with the release of the movie Loose Change, my conspiracy tendencies really kicked into full gear. I mean, it made much more sense that this was an attack coordinated by high-ranking members of our government as opposed to just sheer incompetence that led to the deadliest attack on U.S. soil. And from this point on, nothing was off limits. Jake dove headfirst into all the conspiracies, chemtrails, JFK assassination, he became totally enamored by the stories of Billy Meyer and Phil Schneider, uh, men who had compelling tales of secret underground military bases and extraterrestrial encounters. He would talk to anyone who would listen, oftentimes cornering them at social events to ask whether or not they were privy to the massive underground chasms underneath the Denver International Airport, things of that nature. You know, I think, I think because most people are afraid of sounding crazy, they sort, they sort of shrug off a lot of this stuff. So me, you know, being incredibly familiar with the tenets of each of these conspiracies, it made me feel smart at parties and shit. I, I felt like I was a part of a secret order of people who, you know, had dared to sort of look beyond the headlines. I felt like an insider. I felt like I was in a Tom Clancy movie. And my dad was a big Tom Clancy fan, so in a lot of ways, I felt like I had sort of been born into some of these uh, storylines. Which really brings us back to the 2016 election, a time when conspiracy theories really sort of emerged out of the depths of the internet and into the mainstream. In fact, at the time, there were many Bernie Sanders supporters who were themselves the victims of left-wing conspiracies surrounding Hillary Clinton, her email server, and the legitimacy of her nomination. Could you tell me, in a couple words, what were Jake's thoughts about Hillary Clinton? Um, I don't think he cared for her, really. He saw it as a continuation of the, you know, just left-to-center Democrats that have been controlling government in his eyes for the last 30 years or so. And while the United States had, in fact, elected Republican presidents in that time, Jake was too young to care about Bush Sr. and too stoned to care about George W. Bush. Jake watched with increasing frustration as he saw what he called the corporate media slowly begin to push Sanders out of the mainstream coverage as everyone began to discuss the inevitability of Clinton's presidency. I know he was pissed. 
I can definitely tell you that. Uh, I had heard Jake talk a lot about how the office of the president was merely a figurehead. I think he sort of uh, developed this ideology after he had placed so much hope in President Obama, only to see him toe the party lines of cozying up to the big banks, taking on new conflicts in the Middle East, and droning thousands of innocent people and children. It kind of fucked with his head, I think. And it was understandable. There were many Americans during that time period who felt let down by President Obama and saw Sanders as the new hope for the Democratic Party. Upon the release of damaging emails from candidate Hillary Clinton, Jake's journey into the dark underbelly of right-wing message boards really began. You see, it seems as if the realization that Sanders was hamstrung to begin with further deepened Jake's beliefs that the American people had no choice in who is to run their government. In fact, the inevitability of Clinton and the constant negative press surrounding then-candidate Donald Trump seemed to position Trump as the underdog in Jake's eyes. And he was happy to watch him dole out one childish insult after another in the direction of Hillary Clinton, never for a second believing that the man might actually win. One of Jake's good friends spoke to me about a conversation he had with Jake on the eve of the election. You've been listening to a premium episode sample of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We refuse to allow corporate advertisement on our show. The goal is to be completely self-sustainable. For a fiver a month, you can support the podcast and get access to a weekly premium episode, plus all the ones we've already recorded. So visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month. Thank you, guys. We love you.